Albert Einstein once said that all religions, arts and sciences are branches of the same tree. As today's technology and global risks race ahead of our understanding and stretch the boundaries of humanity, we face unprecedented ethical conundrums. I believe that reaching beyond the sciences and religion to that third branch, the arts, offers essential insight into these challenges. I call ethical decision-making on the borders of humanity, ethics on the edge. We all teeter on the edge. How do we define a life well-lived in a partly virtual world? Where do we look for moral guidelines and truth when curated selves befriend each other through algorithms? How do we make conscionable decisions in the uncharted territory of civilian space travel, designer genetics, and artificial intelligence? And what about the problems that are still on the ethical edge, but shouldn't be, such as inequality or racism? Please join me in conversation with some of the world's leading artists and arts world pioneers as we explore some of today's most challenging ethical questions through the lens of the visual and performing arts, architecture, and literature. Paul, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's an honor to be here. And as you know, I, I'm a great fan of the RCA. Uh, to start, uh, why don't we just maybe hear from you a little bit about generally the mission and vision of the RCA at this point in its history. Mm -hmm. uh, and in particular, um, congratulations, I believe, are in order for yet again the number one worldwide slot in arts and design on the QS rankings. Thank um, you. So maybe a little bit about what you think accounts for your success. Um, before we get into these questions of the day about the arts and, yeah. and how the arts relate to the major ethical questions of our time. I think age has something to do with it. I'm not saying that you have to be old to be excellent, but I think uh, a few decades behind you helps uh, perfect, smooth out eye, uh, wrinkles uh, and understand the way to, that, 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 that works and things that perhaps work less well. I think the kind of individual tuition um, model at the RCA is is very core and fundamental to the way we work. The idea that you have a kind of a one-to-one -one relationship with a, with a tutor, whether you're an artist or whether you're a designer or whether you're an architect. I think um, peer learning is essential. I mean, people learn a lot from a meister, but they also learn a huge amount from their peer group. And bringing together students from 65 different nationalities into one very intense postgraduate-only experience um, in London, I do think also contributes to our success. Mm -hmm. We run an enhanced master's program here. It's, it's a 240 credit rather than the typical UK 180 credit. I think that again um, is... So that's is, a two-year program? It's a two-year program. Okay. So that again, I think, is, 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 is all these aspects and elements are creating the kind of a rich... Um, ecosystem and a very, very kind of rich environment um, in which our students learn. And of course, they're only postgraduate and they're only art and design. And I do think size and focus helps. I remember reading an article about Caltech and they were sort of saying that actually the success of Caltech is very much down to its scale. You know, people who'd worked at MIT and moved to Caltech and then vice versa. So the ability and opportunity to kind of sit and meet somebody from a completely different field over a cup of coffee mm -hmm. in Caltech was just part of day-to-day -day life. And that's true of the RCA too. I think 
because they're so small, you can meet. So you have jewelry designers bumping into architects, Absolutely. bumping into painters, and, Absolutely. and sharing conversations. Absolutely, and and the way that we configure the workshops, the way we kind of should we say passport the workshops, um, is very deliberately aimed at allowing a sculptor into um, a three D printing uh, suite and allowing a jeweler into a sculptor's foundry. So people are playing with scale, they're playing with different materials, they're playing with completely different um, assumptions about design or, or art. So we'll come back to assumptions and this idea of what are the assumptions with which we look at the world and, yeah. and how individual artists look at the world through their yeah. particular lens. Um, but just in terms of the mission and the vision of the RCA, um, would you say that the students are as involved in creating that? Is that a dynamic mission and vision, or is that something that has been sort of historically set and you're continuing to, um, to strive for that vision and to implement that mission? I mean I, I mean, I think there are certain kind of core principles that are, are you know, like any organization, you know, are values that mm -hmm. are sort of, should we say, non-negotiable, mm -hmm. uh, and that they're the values that are relevant today as they probably were in the 1950s. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I think there are things that uh, when you start talking to students, and let's face it, they are absolutely the cutting edge of, of, mm -hmm. of, of thinking in, in, in the mm -hmm. field. Um, you have to be informed and steered and, guide and, 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 and led um, in some ways by the expectations, the preoccupations of that generation, because they are really going to be Mm -hmm. sorting out some of the major challenges mm -hmm. that we're facing. And I think if we were to say, no, 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 you know, this is a master-pupil relationship uh, with a 28-year-old postgraduate student would be a little conceited of us. How influential do you think the arts are, whether it's visual arts, literature, architecture, um, performing arts, in influencing um, the thinking about the ethical questions of our day? Oh, I think they're absolutely key. I think they are absolutely key. I think that, that you know, it is the artists, it, you know, it is the creative arts, it is the humanities that are holding a mirror up to mm -hmm. us as a society, um, showing us our past, um, showing us our potential future, um, commenting and reflecting upon our nature. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that they are absolutely fundamental. And is there anything you as an institution do or that your wonderful teachers uh, mm. and students do to, uh, in particular, make their voice heard um, by the people who are making decisions that are affecting um, the way the world is going. For example, scientists, or mm -hmm. I know that you have students who uh, work in design who, for example, might end up at a place like Apple. Mm -hmm. um, so how mm -hmm. might they try to influence uh, in future employers or even governments or other organizations in terms of how they're making the decisions about uh, major ethical issues? I don't think anybody at the RCA uh, who comes to the RCA, gets accepted here, has any desire to do anything other than influence society. I mean, something like 43% of our students go on to set up their own businesses. So these are people who are leaders, uh, and they, they're, they're not here, I think, just to kind of conform. Uh, and, you know, some people would sort of say, well, you know, what are you teaching your students, you know, at right. the moment? And we've sort of always come back to this idea. It's really about creative leadership. Mm -hmm. We are not interested in creating people who are going to do anything less than paradigm shift. Mm -hmm. um, and the fact that there are more RCA graduates at Apple than any other art and design university in the world, I think is testament to that. You know, people like so. people like RCA graduates mm -hmm. because they know that they are contrarian, mm -hmm. they are lateral thinkers, uh, they don't accept the status quo. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not saying that we kind of actively, provocatively encourage them to sort of mm -hmm. break rules like that, but mm -hmm. what we do allow them to do is 
um, give them the freedom to experiment and explore during the time here. Well, I think in your last couple of comments, you've touched on what I think is one of the most compelling definitions of leadership, which is starting from a place of principle. Mm -hmm. And on, in your particular case, giving them the benefit of historically defined uh, and proven mm -hmm. principles mm -hmm. and applying them to the issues of the day. Yeah. Uh, and looking forward at the same time. Just in terms of individual artists, um, mm -hmm. what do you think, whether it's RCA connected artists mm -hmm. or not, mm -hmm. what do you think the ethical responsibility of artists is in today's world? Do artists have an ethical responsibility or should they just be expressing themselves through their arts and whatever happens, happens? I think they should be expressing themselves. Okay. And I think that they uh, inevitably will be expressing an ethical standpoint. Whether they know it or not, whether they okay. choose to or not, that is inevitably in any single sort of act, any mm -hmm. sort of human act like that. I think there is an ethical position or an ethical questioning. Um, it doesn't have to be, the, certainly shouldn't probably be the starting point, but it's inevitable that that will um, because we, we, we're human beings mm -hmm. and we're looking for, for signs and signals and indicators mm -hmm. and choices that have and haven't been made in anything in life. Mm -hmm. um, we're picking up those signals. And so, you know, an artist is sending out some signal of some kind. Mm -hmm. um, there is some statement always there. So even something that uh, might start out as a project to create something that's just beautiful. Uh, and I shouldn't say just beautiful. Um, but to create a beautiful work. Mm. Somewhere mm. that will be a reflection of even a question like, what is beauty in 2016? I think so. I okay. think so. Absolutely. I, I mean, I think, you know, you can start off with an artist like Ai Weiwei, who, mm -hmm. who can take, you know, life, life jackets mm -hmm. from uh, refugees mm -hmm. cast on a Greek beach. Mm -hmm. uh, he's obviously starting with a very, very kind of eth ethically mm -hmm. and moral um, questioning in the creation of that piece and it, 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 it's there from sort of A to Z right. uh, in, the, in the creation, the display and our understanding and appreciation of it, it's extremely overt. Mm -hmm. um, and an artist like Ai Weiwei, I think, you know, is at one extreme and as right. you say, there are people who create things that are just beautiful. Mm -hmm. Well, there's something about the sublime and the transcendental mm -hmm. that I think we would say has an ethical or a moral mm -hmm. um, tone mm -hmm. to it. I love this, this word transcendental because much of these conversations is about trying to understand the limits of humanity in today's mm. world mm. where science, for example, designer genetics or artificial mm -hmm. intelligence, machine mm -hmm. learning, sort mm -hmm. of pushing the boundaries of humanities. Mm -hmm. And the arts um, helps us to say, wow, that, that's human or maybe that's mm -hmm. trying to be even something more. Where do you look for inspiration for your own ethical principles? Is it, would you say, from family, from religion, from somewhere in society? Um, from RCA values, um, from even from artists? How do you find well, your true north? Uh, trying to think about how do I find my true north. Um, I'm surprised that I'm going to say this because I'm not a religious person, mm -hmm. but I don't think you can do that much better than Jesus' parables, mm -hmm. actually. I think, you know, that's a very kind of old-fashioned, and I'm surprised that I'm saying it, but there is actually something about, I think, you know, some of the, 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 the New Testament teaching that is pretty extraordinary. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting because it's, it's from some religious foundation, even if it's not necessarily a religion to which you're committed in terms of faith. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And it's also from family. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then I, 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 then I would say, okay, so that's sort of what, 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 what you sort of pick up before mm-hmm. the age of seven, let's right. say. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, then now I would say it's, it, it is the arts. I mean, mm-hmm. particularly literature. I mean, I think that, 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 you know, if you were to say to me, what book have you read most recently that, 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 that poses to you the kind of the major ethical issues at the moment? It's Voices from Chernobyl by Svetlana Alexievich. Okay. And I think that that book just says it all, actually, in terms of our um, responsibility as polit- or the responsibility of political leaders. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of tremendous literature recently that, um, that, has, that has tackled issues of the day, but also issues through history. Mm-hmm. Um, North Korea mm-hmm. you know, um, mm-hmm. has shown up in a couple of prize-winning books, the Man Booker Prize yeah. about a year ago, and Pulitzer Prize about a year or two ago yeah. also. Yeah. Um, and uh, so... So it's interesting that you're looking also to to literature, to other arts that aren't necessarily part of the part of the curriculum here. How do you think ethics factor into your own work? You you have a wonderful reputation as as an excellent institutional leader um, and someone who can handle all of the the financial aspects, the management aspects. Mm, um, mm, in addition mm. to keeping an eye on making sure that the arts are flourishing mm, mm. and that you're, as you say, at the cutting edge of the education. Mm. Um, but do you, how, do the ethics, how does ethics factor into your um, thinking about your own position here? In an educational institution where you are working with, in a community of academics mm-hmm. and artists and designers, and you're working with what by my standards are young people, mm-hmm. I mean, I think there has to be a very strong ethical By my standards model. too. <laughs> yeah, a strong kind of ethical uh, right. compass. I mean, we are not in the business um, of, 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 of trying to create people who are not value-driven. I mean, right. everything that we're really trying to do here is, is, is create people who are value-driven. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's as true as a fashion designer as it is as an artist. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, is the RCA turning out a fashion designer who just wants to be famous mm-hmm. or who just wants to go and work mm-hmm. for a big brand? Mm-hmm. Uh, and what does that actually mean at the end mm-hmm. of the day? I mean, what are the choices mm-hmm. that our designers are being offered mm-hmm. and so at least if, if as long as they're off you know given a sort of a good panoply of of, of kind of offer mm-hmm. I think by us as to these are the directions you could take with your mm-hmm. career these are the directions that you could take I mean I think that is a very strong responsibility and role models yeah absolutely mm-hmm. I mean who do we admire right. and who do we think mm-hmm. actually is changing the world mm-hmm. through design because we keep telling everybody right. uh, and we strongly believe that design mm-hmm. and, and art change mm-hmm. the world uh, and it, it's really essential that we point to people who, who we feel actually are doing mm-hmm. that. Well, and you certainly have an, a renowned selection of alumni. Yeah, we uh, do, to, to choose to, from. To, yeah, to choose from. Yeah, so yeah. that's quite, yeah. an extraordinary, yeah. quite an extraordinary yeah. history. Um, interesting that you, you are an academic institution, so one of your values has to be academic independence, academic freedom. Yes. Uh, and so your artists are um, working in an, in an ethically structured uh, institution, mm. but as far as mm. their own work, um, they have freedom to do, I imagine, mm. and explore and research mm. pretty much mm. anything they'd mm. like. Um, and I'm, I imagine that that's also part of the ethos that your students are, are taking on, which is understanding what this intellectual freedom is as an artist or as an academic. Uh, they absolutely are. And I think that, 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 that also, where there's potentially friction, I think, mm. is, 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 is where an individual's ethics perhaps collide or don't chime with the ethics 
and values of another individual. Right, well, uh, 65 different countries represented yeah, and cultures. And, yeah, and that, that, that's kind of perhaps where there is a kind of a, a, a potential, um, I suspect, for disagreement rather mm -hmm. than kind of avert conflict. Mm -hmm. What has been the most important ethical conundrum that you've faced as a leader? Like most um, folk in, in the world of art uh, or sport, there is that sort of that 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 issue of of, of is it better to boycott and, and to sanction or okay. is it better to kind of open mm -hmm. to be open and to embrace and to try and affect change through? I mean, I think we think very very carefully about the relationships, governmental relationships we have okay. with particular regimes around the world, yeah. uh, but we try to be very very clear that we do not single out mm -hmm. an individual artist from a particular. With a particular passport, right. and assume that that person is representative mm -hmm. of that government right. regime that we perhaps would mm -hmm. um, not wish. To, would, would we would say we're just not aligned to our values. Mm -hmm. um, so I think in all all academic institutions, mm -hmm. all of and business mm -hmm. actually, right. we're all having to take mm -hmm. those sort of decisions. Mm -hmm. um, around who we work with right. and who we don't work with. I think that's a fascinating example and in particular I imagine there are situations and you mentioned Ai Weiwei. Ai Weiwei mm -hmm. has certainly been in danger at different points yeah. and subject yeah. to immense government pressure at different yeah. points. Yeah. Uh, I would imagine that there are points at which supporting an artist to express him or herself mm -hmm. in an independent way mm -hmm. when steeped in a particular kind of regime mm -hmm. might also be part of that whole question. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's, mm -hmm. a, that's a fascinating answer. What are the greatest ethical challenges you think society faces today? And what about that? Uh, is there a particular aspect of that question that concerns you most? What concerns me most is the fact that what we're doing now is really not so far removed from turning our eyes to those you know, ships that drifted around the Mediterranean with European Jews on it looking for a safe harbour in the late 1930s mm -hmm. uh, and that to me is just terrifying to mm -hmm. think that my god you know how far have we not moved exactly. from those days mm -hmm. and i think that the idea that we're talking about you know war refugees mm -hmm. uh, and economic refugees and climate change refugees mm -hmm. we from a design perspective have a massive responsibility because um, if you talk to some of those countries that have welcomed migrants, like Germany, like mm -hmm. Sweden. Um, I think there's a strong, I mean, everybody kind of can admire the ethical yes. and moral impulse to accept those refugees, mm -hmm. but they need to quickly get the designers on board mm -hmm. to make sure that those people are housed, schooled, mm -hmm. right. um, that there's an infrastructure in place. Because certainly if you speak to the most liberal-minded Germans and Swedes, right. they say, you know, suddenly our village Absolutely. You know, nobody there is a practical aspect to the decision. The, and that's where design comes mm -hmm. in. And I think that, you know, designers, one of the big, big challenges that we face is going to be uh, not only mass migration and mass urbanization, um, it's the kind of conflation of the two. It's how are we suddenly going to create these big cities mm -hmm. fast enough to deal with migrant, mm -hmm. with, with this, you know, these migrant populations mm -hmm. that are coming from rural areas. You know, we're now mm -hmm. talking about Chinese aging right. populations are now right. moving to the cities. It's not just the young folk looking for work, it's now the older populations right. are migrating to the city. How are they, mm -hmm. their needs going so to be accommodated? So different types of migration, even internal, Absolutely. for example. China's the perfect example Absolutely. of that. We, we've just done a project, our Helen Hamlin mm -hmm. Centre, 
um, for design, which um, looks specifically at aging populations, has just done a project with Tsinghua University ah, in Beijing, looking precisely at this mm-hmm. issue of how do you mm-hmm. meet the housing needs mm-hmm. uh, and social needs of mm-hmm. people who are older mm-hmm. and have and, lived. And Tsinghua is a wonderful example of a yeah. very technologically focused Absolutely. institution. So Absolutely. joining the design and the arts with the technology. Absolutely. Um, Two follow-up points on that. I mean, you certainly um, resonate with other major institutional leaders, for example, Ian Levine at Human Rights Watch, who is Mm -hmm. really warned about the fact that we are not looking at history. You know, many are um, migrants and saying, I came here or my parents came here. And it's a very scary way that we're looking at these questions. But uh, in terms of the design aspect, didn't you have a student, did I read properly that you had a student who did something for Syrian refugees that was yes. wearable shelter. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, that? Uh, what's so great about it is, is, is when you look at that project mm-hmm. and you see a photograph in the press, and it's right. been quite well publicized. You look at it and think, oh, that's, that's a piece of work by a fashion student. Right. It's actually an interior design student. And what she did, uh-huh. uh, well, the group of three, three yeah. students, what they did was actually create um, out of Tyvek which is a very strong, cheap mm-hmm. building material. Mm-hmm. They created um, a coat mm-hmm. that you could wear while you are on the move and very, very light. Mm-hmm. And then when you kind of reach that awful wall right. that says, no, you're not, an, you can't, another inch. then suddenly you take the coat off and you pull it this way and that way mm-hmm. and suddenly creates a, a, a little shelter. It's such a clever idea. Extraordinary. It's such a clever idea. Do you think you could name, and this is a difficult question yeah. um, for someone with, with your vast experience with the arts, but is there a particular artist, sort of writ large, could be an architect, could be yeah. a writer, who you think has made the most or one of the most significant contributions to ethical thinking through the arts? Well, it's got to be Shakespeare, hasn't it? The Tempest, King right. Lear, then, you know, Coriolanus, Macbeth. I mean, here's All kinds of lessons about behavior. Absolutely. And Richard III. What, what drives behavior, emotion. human emotion, And trying and to understand, you know, as, 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 as one critics, Victorian critic said, you know, what is motiveless malignancy? Yeah. And okay. Shakespeare, I think, you know, whether it's some of his, 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 his most evil characters like Iago, what is it that drives motiveless malignancy? Mm-hmm. And it sort of comes on to Hannah Arendt's you know, banality of evil. Right. right. And yet here's somebody in the sort of, you know, 17th century talking about, mm-hmm. about you know, that utter, there's just no motive mm-hmm. for that sort of evil. Mm-hmm. And I think Shakespeare really shows that to us mm-hmm. so well. I think that's a, it's a fascinating example. And you raise two themes that indeed go through much of my own work, much of my own mm-hmm. advisory work, but, but uh, explain much of what we're seeing today, in my view, in ethical... Mm-hmm how should we say it, um, ethical challenges. Mm. One is understanding what drives the behavior. So we mm. tend to be very focused on particular behaviors, yeah. not nearly focused enough on what's driving them. Yeah. So we might uh, try to stamp out or, or implement a law that says, don't commit bribery. Yeah. But until we understand what's driving the bribery, yes. yeah. uh, we're never actually going to eradicate it. So that's one thing. Um, but also, we, you mentioned Hannah Arendt uh, and banality. Particularly with social media, we yeah. seem to be at a place where so quickly things become banal. Um, and mm. if you think back a year or so ago when we saw mm. beheadings, yeah. it was unbelievably yes. shocking that something like that could appear yes. in social media. Yes. And very quickly, the word beheading almost became banal. Uh, yes. And it's horrifying that yes. certain degrees of unethical behavior and certain yes. scale of unethical behavior, whether it's in financial institutions or elsewhere, yes. Can become unethical, and I think the migration question is a 
you know, a question of, is the public jaded? Is well, how did we ever get to the, yeah. the, the state where, you know, a beheading was put on YouTube? Exactly. I mean, how did that world come about? It, mm -hmm. is, it is absolutely shocking mm -hmm. and terrifying mm -hmm. um, to think that something that we thought, you know, we'd left behind in the Middle Ages, mm -hmm. you know, putting heads on pikes mm -hmm. is suddenly, you know, that's mm -hmm. what we, we, we sort of thought about as kind of schoolgirls and schoolboys when we read the Tudors. Right, right. And here we are in kind of, you know, industrialized, post-industrialized right. Western right. Europe and, and the States right. hearing about American journalists who've been beheaded. No, absolutely. I mean, it's just shocking. Mm. And actually this whole relationship between social media and this idea of banality mm. comes back to something you said earlier about your students and values and, mm -hmm. for example, celebrity. Mm. And clearly this generation has to think about your values, mm. your institutional, mm. long-standing mm. institutional mm. values mm. in a social media world. If you were going to recommend one or two works um, to political leaders, let's take, for example, um, I'm American, so let's take at this mm -hmm. particular juncture Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. If you'd like them to learn a lesson or two in our uh, ethically challenged U.S. presidential election, um, mm. what would you recommend they look at? Is there a painting? Is there a play they should see? Is there a building they should consider? Well, I'm going on? to try and I'm going to try and forget what I think they might or might not accept from me oh, as bedtime reading, right. okay, or, or that invitation to uh, an exhibition, because okay. I'm not sure that either of them would accept my choice. Fair point. Fair but point. let's assume that they were completely open okay. and completely up for it. I would like. Um, a political leader to look at the paintings of Anton Kiefer, the, the novels of Patrick Modiano, okay. a French writer. Mm -hmm. And I suppose, again, I keep coming Recent back... Recent Nobel Prize. Yeah, I keep coming back to this sort of... Um, I suppose the nearest ethical dilemma in our lifetimes, which is the Holocaust. Mm. And, okay. you know, I mean, how, how do we try to understand that? And I think that the, the kind of the issues of complicity, mm -hmm. uh, compliance... Mm -hmm collaboration, ignore, you know, cutting oneself off. I mean, all those sort of themes are explored in, in Patrick mm -hmm. Modiano's work. Mm -hmm. And I think in Anselm Kiefer's as well, to an extent, mm -hmm. I think. So for those who are not familiar with Kiefer, yeah. tell us just quickly sort of uh, two sentences about Kiefer and style and, and just, yeah, I mean, I think Donald Trump would find him a bit too kind of stern, gray, depressing. Okay. Um, but I think that for, for those people who are interested in, in I suppose, guilt, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, okay. it's the guilt of a nation, the guilt of a generation, um, looking at, you know, big, looking at Germany in the, in the 1950s, mm -hmm. the 1960s, you know, what is it, what, what did it mean to be German mm -hmm. with that legacy? Mm -hmm. um, and how, how does one live with, with that mm -hmm. sort of legacy of guilt? And, mm -hmm you know, all the biblical associations of, mm -hmm. of, of, of guilt. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting. I read something recently about Elie Wiesel, who, as you know, recently yeah. passed away, yeah. who said at one point he hadn't realized that it could be as hard to have, uh, have that legacy in a way, mm. or perhaps not as hard, mm. but mm. difficult to have that legacy as much to have suffered as mm. a victim, mm. as a victim of the Holocaust. Mm. Um, and uh, your comments are particularly interesting because there are a number of, of comments you've made in the press over the years about in your institutions, whether it's here or Cooper Hewitt, mm -hmm. linking history with contemporary. Mm 
Yeah. And I think indeed the lessons from the Holocaust and even to the point about U.S. presidential elections, mm. what the U.S. presidents at the time yeah. did or didn't do, yeah. um, complicity, looking the other way. Yeah. Um, How did Srebrenica happen? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I cannot believe yeah. that I watched, mm -hmm. you know, the television, right. you know, as a, as, a, as a sort of an adult mm -hmm. uh, and, and saw that weekend in Srebrenica. Mm -hmm. you know, I still cannot believe that I watched. And it's very difficult to believe that post-Rwanda, where yeah. we actually had a highly respected U.S. president apologize yeah. for yeah. failure to act, yeah. that we're... A, then not very long afterwards, yeah. seeing what's happening in Syria. But I think that we've now got into, and I, I, I think a mood of whether it's sort of American isolationism or, you know, we, we, we kind of went marching into sort of bomb Iraq and bomb Syria and et cetera, et cetera. I think we've now sort of said, well, we've got to leave it to, to, the, to you know, the locals on the ground. You know, we shouldn't get involved. And, mm -hmm. and I think that that is almost as dangerous as marching in. Right. Um, I think it's an incredibly difficult thing to do because we know what's happening in Syria is basically, it's a sort of third world war mm -hmm. by proxy. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think we, we, we can't just kind of march in. But mm -hmm. how can we um, just turn around and say, oh, well, you know, there's always going to be these kind of ethnic tensions between the Sunnis and the Shias. Mm -hmm. And this goes back many, many years. I mean, history can be used as a bit of an mm -hmm. excuse right. no, for absolutely. inaction. Absolutely. And I find that very irritating when you see the sort of, older statesmen mm -hmm. are turning around and, and reminding mm -hmm. us of the history of the British in mm -hmm. Mosul and, you know, Winston Churchill in Iraq and these things have always, you know, it somehow mm -hmm. condo well, condones or, or lets us all off mm -hmm. the hook. And well, and back to banality also. Mm -hmm. um, let's turn to education since you're, mm -hmm. you're an expert. Today on the news, we heard that the new prime minister in the UK, mm -hmm. Theresa May, mm -hmm. is um, putting forth a proposal to mm -hmm. allow the opening of new grammar schools, yes. a major change in British yes. educational policy. Yes. I've spoken with other arts leaders who say yeah. they're absolutely uh, terrified by the fact that in an exam-structured society, in particular at secondary school level, yeah. we're dismissing the arts, we're dismissing creativity. Yes. Yes. Maybe computer science is taking a stronger place, yeah. um, but all of a sudden the arts are being relegated to second tier yeah. uh, in many ways in terms of yeah. how important they seem to career success in terms yeah. of allocation of budget yeah. in terms of priorities for studying and course allocation yeah. you know time in school yeah. um, what role should the arts be playing in education today oh gosh how long have we got as long <laughs> as you've got. I mean I, I think that um, there are some terrible assumptions mm -hmm. made about the arts in the school curriculum mm -hmm. by politicians who actually all studied, you know, history right. at university. Mm -hmm. So they really should know better. Exactly. Um, and I think that uh, this idea that, that, that you should kind of bifurcate a population mm -hmm. at the age of 11, I mean, I know that the Secretary of State and Prime Minister have said this is not going to, this is going to be a 21st century grammar school. Mm -hmm. Well, if it is, can we please drop the word grammar? Because the word grammar instantly mm -hmm. sends a signal of, 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 right. of really kind of a 19th century kind of mm. German system. Right. I do think it's a huge shame that politicians have to keep playing around with our health service and our education service. I don't think they're experts in the field. Mm. I do think, you know, I don't agree with, with, with the, you know, the dismissal of experts. I think experts right. do have a place in education. Right. And um, there is an evidence base to mm -hmm. suggest when and how one selects and mm -hmm. how one educates. Mm -hmm. I think it's awful to think of the arts as the sort of for the less able the sort of route that mm. you go down 
um, because you're less able. And like I, maths or English. Or, oh, yeah, it's right. just so, so dispiriting because, mm-hmm. you know, the idea that if you're a fantastic physicist, you shouldn't mm-hmm. be doing A-level music. Mm-hmm. Um, that's absolutely what we should be encouraging. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you go to somewhere like Imperial College and you look at the way that they have a, 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 a undergraduate degree, which is for music and physics, mm-hmm. uh, and they're in conjunction with the Royal College of Music, mm-hmm. absolutely, that is where right. you know the future lies. That is also, to me, that is the sign of a super valuable, intelligent, gifted individual. I mean, I would love to spend time with somebody mm-hmm. who's doing physics and and, 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 violin. and that's a particular issue with some of the European educational systems and mm-hmm. indeed in the UK, whereas mm-hmm. in the US, mm-hmm. uh, one goes to four-year undergraduate programs, yeah. can decide on a major well yeah. after arriving. Yeah. So it isn't I'm going yeah. to University X to read English. Yeah. It's I'm going to this yeah. university and I'll see what I think when yeah. I get there. Yeah. And there are also quite a range of diversity requirements. Yeah. So even an English yeah. major will have to take sciences and will have to take um, yes. social sciences. Uh, and also there's sometimes there's even room for a double degree. Yeah. So I think, you know, I hope the systems evolve because certainly the idea of being able to look at things from different perspectives and also testing the boundaries of one's strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Because at 11 years old, it's very hard to know if you really are good or not so good at maths. Absolutely. Mass. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think it's far too know. early at a stage. And I think that one can very, very, I mean, my personal view, not my institutional view, but my personal view is one can kind of gently select and, and tier and stream uh, and amongst a community, but I think suddenly taking certain people off down the corridor mm-hmm. and taking them to another school mm-hmm. uh, and, and other people to another. I mean, I just don't think it's, right. I just don't, mm-hmm. don't see the value of it. Um, and presumably if, if they're all going to engage in problem solving and in creating mm. a thriving, ethical, um, productive, mm. happy society, mm. we each need to know enough about each other's disciplines to be able to work with each other and to be able to put yeah. heads together and to solve backgrounds. problems. And backgrounds, you know, exactly. You know, people have got to know, you know, they've got to be mixing with, with, mm-hmm. with people from different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yeah, I think that diversity, mm-hmm. cultural, cognitive diversity actually is quite important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, certainly Absolutely. a bit when you build a team, you, mm-hmm. you, you know, you're looking for cognitive as well as mm-hmm. cultural diversity because mm-hmm. uh, you know that those teams are going to be the best. Mm-hmm. So as we come to the, uh, to the end of our discussion, a couple final questions. Yeah. Um, what excites you the most about the point where we are in history in terms of the link between science, technology, and the arts and design? Uh, what excites me is I think that um, those, of, those of us on the art side um, of the fence, and it shouldn't really be a fence, but let's right. assume it's there. Okay. I think that we are much more um, open and interested and willing to engage and explore with a synthetic biologist mm-hmm. or with a you, you know an artificial intelligence um, mm-hmm. computer scientist. Mm-hmm. I think we're very intrigued mm-hmm. uh, at the moment, and that to me I think is is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Also, if again I think of the kind of the receptivity that we get from some of the scientists um, at universities and you know, around the world, but, but, but here in London. I mean, they are very respectful and very interested in mm-hmm. something that isn't just um, a sort of secondary partnership. You right. know. Ah, the artists are coming in to kind of explain or mm-hmm. to visualize our work. Um, that's of no interest really to, right. to an artist. An right. artist wants to actually be an equal partner right. uh, in, in, in a research mm-hmm. project. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of the scientists that, that we now talk to um, are very genuinely interested. Mm-hmm. They recognize that actually mm-hmm. that 
invention will just sit on a lab table unless a designer comes along and looks at it and says, you know what, that actually has got a market need. I can identify how you could create a market for that, for that invention, for that experiment that, that actually is quite different from perhaps what you thought. Or perhaps even a delivery system that isn't what Absolutely. Um, yeah. But you mentioned yeah. market, uh, and, I, and I have to say it is most impressive here how much stiff competition you're giving some of your peer institutions when it comes to offering opportunities for entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. So could we touch a little bit on how important sure. the entrepreneurial spirit is here, including to the ethics questions, um, yeah. that you actually yeah. get some of this wonderful work yeah. out there? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think uh, for us, you, you, you know, we are here to help support mm -hmm. the individual student. But actually, in our Royal Charter, we are there to um, also, you know, serve industry and right. to help industry. Mm -hmm. So we're very, very mindful of the fact mm -hmm. that, that, you know, if we've got a young entrepreneur, mm -hmm. um, how can we help, you know, him or her actually take an idea? Mm -hmm. Because there's nothing more exciting than watching a really cussed, creative individual mm -hmm. just push and fight with that kind of determination mm -hmm. to actually create a car a startup and then to to see those first steps um, once they've got their early investment and I think that for us um, you know creativity isn't just about um, you know the, the wonderful idea to begin with the light bulb it's also right. about helping create that company and that it's wonderful when I go to look at, at, at small companies in you know in London that a stuff full of RCAers Right. Uh, and they only graduated, you know, two years ago, three right. years ago. And you see that they're employing about 40 staff right. from the RCA. It's just so heartwarming yeah. to, to sort of see that, that, that entrepreneurship. Well, it certainly has become part of your identity and your ethos um, mm. to connect with government needs, to connect mm. with, uh, with business needs, to connect mm. with scientists' needs, mm. technologists' needs. It's, it's truly extraordinary. Um, what, what would you like to say that I haven't asked you? And in particular on these... Thorny oh questions about um, about artists and ethics. I, well, I suppose the only thing I would add is is is, is in terms of uh, the cost of education. I think we've got to be incredibly. You know, we talk about selection. Um, uh, 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 the, the, the latest thoughts around grammar schools, mm. but I think it's extremely important that we um, can always ensure that the best and the brightest can come to university, and that it isn't just. Uh, a, a place for for people who, who can pay. Um, I think that's extremely important. You know, we're changing our university system, uh, and as it changes, it has to recognise that you know the scholarship and, and the financial aid systems have got to be put in place. Um, and I I would not want to see the student loan book uh, somehow uh, start to kind of ramp up the interest rates, lower the threshold of repayment, all the sort of tricks. Okay. of the trade that you can sort of imagine would mm -hmm. be in place. I mean, at the moment, it is quite a benign system, particularly mm -hmm. compared to the load system in the US. Right. And I would want to see it remain absolutely benign and more benign mm -hmm. um, so that people do get, you know, uh, the opportunity to, to kind of have a loan holiday if they have a baby, mm -hmm. if their salary drops below a certain level, you know. Uh, I think it's really critical that that... that well, you're winding up the conversation on yeah. one of the most fundamental ethical challenges of our time, which is yeah. inequality. Yeah. And certainly if education is the pathway um, yeah. to uh, social mobility, mm -hmm. then equality in terms of educational opportunity is critical. Mm -hmm. um, so thank mm -hmm. you for that. Mm -hmm. Paul, it's really been an honor and a pleasure. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for thank your you. time. Very Good. grateful.